his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. The views expressed by guests are not necessarily those of Intercom Communications staff, management, or sponsors. Now, here's your host, Sue Henry. On today's program, we'll let you know about the projects members of Leadership Wilkes-Barre's Class of 2018 have mapped out to serve the community. We'll meet a Luzerne County native whose life has been intertwined with the movie industry and get the details of some films he'll introduce as part of the 80th birthday celebration of the FM Kirby Center. Then we'll talk to renowned relationship therapist Dr. Ruth Westheimer about her new book on staying in, or ending a relationship. Part of the mission of Leadership Wilkes-Barre is to bring together professionals of all types from our area with the goal of increasing their understanding of the community where they live and what they might do collaboratively to help others. The 2018 Leadership Wilkes-Barre class members have a host of initiatives that serve the young, those who lack health care, and community members who are interested in the arts. Leadership Wilkes-Barre Executive Director Lori Nacido explains the purpose of the volunteer projects. Throughout the program year, our participants learn leadership skills. And to put those skills into action, they break out into six community impact projects. So they're utilizing the skills that they've learned in the classroom out in the field. How successful have these projects been over the years and how meaningful are they for our community? These projects touch so many people in our community, whether they renovate a park or they work with the elderly or children or the SPCA. There's not one organization that we've worked with that hasn't been better for the work that Leadership Booksbury has provided them. And even as leaders, I guess that community service component of a working life is, is really essential, right? Leaders really should be aware of giving back and helping others. And from that desire to serve and give back, more leadership emerges and one thing leads to another. And we do hope that uh, the people that are in our program right now will continue that servant leadership model to many other organizations that they work with in the future. We recently had the opportunity to learn about the Leadership Wilkes-Barre projects from members of the class, and we hope that if one hits home with you, you might consider supporting one of their upcoming events. Jamie Johns works for M&T Bank, and she gave us the details of the event, Headbangers, which draws attention to the potential of concussions for young athletes. Well, we have two members in our team, Jamie and Don, who both have uh, children that are involved in local youth sports, specifically football. We decided to focus on concussion awareness and concussion prevention. We also have an individual in our team, Martha, who works with Geisinger. So she was able to pair us up with some Geisinger individuals, and we're going to have a punt pass kick event on Sunday, April 8th from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Wilkes-Barre Sports Dome 
and we're going to have representatives from Geisinger there to speak to the parents and kids on concussion awareness, signs, symptoms, when to go for help, and then the kids are going to be able to compete in this punt, pass, kick, and speed competition. So they're going to have fun. Um, the parents are going to be able to learn more about uh, concussions and keep our kids safer in the youth sport community in NEPA. Before you came into this project, had you given concussions much thought? Oh my gosh, no. I mean, I played tennis, so not a big concussion sport in high school. Um, but as I got involved, we learned that it's not even football that is the only sport with concussions. I mean, you have soccer and other sports, so parents have to think about that as well. And it's, it's good for any parent grandparent that watches children, teachers, coaches, to be more knowledgeable and aware of this topic. The proceeds for our event is going to actually benefit the Wyoming Valley a Junior Football Conference to help them in their goal of protecting the kids down the line, which includes possibly purchasing some um, helmet covers for their kids and all the different, the different teams involved, um, which are all over Northeast PA. The cost is going to be $15 per child at door to participate in the punt, pass, and kick event. Now, if we have any parents or guardians or teachers that want to come and just attend the Geisinger medical program about the concussion awareness, they're welcome to come at no cost. Um, we want as many people in the community to be aware of this issue and to learn as much as they can so that's free and open to any parents or teachers or whoever would like to come. And don't forget to check out our Facebook page. It's NEPA Protect Your Head. So please find it, like it. We post articles about concussion awareness, our event, any details, any changes to that. And if you have questions, feel free to reach out via our Facebook page. Amber Loomis of the Family Service Association of Northeastern Pennsylvania has the details of Trails for Tails, a project to benefit the Luzerne County SPCA. Well, I am new to Family Service Association, so I thought this would be a really good opportunity to kind of get to know a lot of different other individuals working in a lot of other nearby agencies and just wanted to make some contacts and network and kind of help get my name out there as well as get my agency's name out there. Talk about the project that you and your team are working on. Um, well, I am with Group Trails for Tails, and we are doing a project for the SPCA of Luzerne County. They are in dire need of a, a walkway. So right now at the SPCA, um, a lot of the volunteers that are coming in to walk the dogs, they don't really have a designated area, or the area they do have is very small and confined. So this trail is going to be about five to six feet wide, going around the pet cemetery. So we are really excited to be working on this project and to give um, the volunteers the community, the SPCA workers, as well, of course, the pets that are looking for homes, a nice exercise area where they can get out and stretch their legs. Are there a lot of pet lovers in this group? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, we have a lot of dog lovers, a lot of cat lovers, and uh, we just really want to help these animals. We really do. And in that regard, you have uh, an event coming up that people can attend if they, too, love animals and want to help, right? On Sunday, February 18th at Kevin's in Kingston, we are holding a Cocktails for a Cause event. It's from 2 to 4. It's $30 per person and includes unlimited food as well as open bar. There's going to be music, gift basket raffles. It's going to be a really great event to come out to and really show your support for the SPCA as well as Leadership Wilkesbury. And what have you learned so far from being in Leadership Wilkes-Barre? What do you think you're going to take away from this? I know it's early in the process, but what do you think so far? Well, I definitely think... Um, with our group in particular, um, we've really been working a lot together and really kind of working as a team, you know, not everyone kind of taking, taking it on themselves, working as a team, coming to a consensus, and I think that's one of the biggest things that I'm going to take away from this experience. 
you have a, an initial fundraising event, and then there'll be a part of this project where there is the unveiling. Can you talk about that? We're shooting for May, but we want to have a red carpet reveal. So we're hoping in the months of, or during the month of April, that we will be able to get together over a course of a few weekends and, you know, bring the pea gravel and the weed barrier and get this trail put into place. And then our goal is um, in May to have a red carpet reveal. So we want to have a ribbon cutting ceremony. We want to bring out some of the dogs and bow ties and tutus and really showcase the pets that are looking for their forever home. And it's just going to be a really fun event to really showcase this project that we've worked really hard on and um, we of course are always looking for sponsors so if you're interested in becoming a doggy waste station sponsor or a bench sponsor just let us know and we would love to get you on board for more information you can go to leadershipwilkesbury.org also if you have any other questions you can always email us um, trails4tales at hotmail.com Sean Hadley of Procter & Gamble Paper Products explains his group's interest in aiding a local learning center through their project, Muglin Quest. We really had two concepts that we latched ourselves around when we initially formed as a group. The one big component is we knew we wanted to help kids in some way, whether that was an underprivileged or a, a meal sponsoring or something in that regard. Uh, but then the other major item that we really wanted to focus on was technology and, and engineering mathematics, really the STEM program and helping kids learn on from a STEM perspective. So uh, the McGlynn Education Center here uh, really provided a great opportunity for us to take an outstanding platform that already existed and boost those STEM capabilities to have a, a greater impact on the kids that they serve. Let's talk about what impressed you about the work of the McGlynn Center in Wilkes-Barre. Uh, Sister Elise King, who's the current uh, operator for the uh, for the McGlynn Center, has really uh, done an amazing job over the past several years uh, in making the McGlynn Center really, really shine in, in the work that they've done. In the past 25 years that this center has been in existence, they've served really over 9,000 kids uh, for that community. And in that time, not a single one has been a part of our juvenile justice system which to me is an amazing uh, metric to show that this center is doing outstanding work, keeping kids um, you know, engaged in their community, helping them to be successful in their educational careers, and helping them go on to do great things. And how will your group um, foster that further? So we have two major components that we're looking to leverage with our project. The first of that is awareness. The McGlynn Center has been doing such an amazing job with their programming. Uh, we really want to bring that to the forefront of our community awareness. We want to help people uh, to see the impact that they're having and to perhaps, if they're, if they're so inclined, to help promote um, what they're doing there. They're completely donation-supported, uh, both for their staffing and all of their programming. Uh, and they do field trips. They do educational programming for kids after school. Uh, and we want to help to support them in that regard uh, by bringing it to the community attention. The second component is we do want to help them revitalize and uh, restore their facilities. Uh, it's a little bit outdated. They have some computer technology there that's several years old and is starting to reach the end of its useful lifespan. And so what we are, are working towards is, is getting a complete technology overhaul, uh, all new computers uh, for the center uh, to really boost their technological capabilities, especially as they have older children uh, who are getting involved really with school projects, uh, with reports and so on that really require computer uh, assistance. And a lot a lot of these kids do not have the ability to do that at home. So this really provides an outlet and a place for them to be able to do this successfully. And in the process of doing so, we are going to bring some cosmetic upgrades, some new tables, some new workspaces to help make the most of the space that they're currently working in. How has this project been received? 
it's really been outstanding so far. We had phenomenal response to our first fundraiser. We had a spin for McGlynn uh, fitness event where we had four sessions uh, at a local fitness center um, sponsored. Uh, we had an outstanding response to that. We had a basket ravel that really went over very, very well. And that enabled us to provide holiday gift bags with a brand new set of sneakers, uh, a dental health care kit, and really some other items uh, to provide to every single one of the kids in the McGlynn Center program uh, going into the Christmas season. Uh, we will have uh, likely another fundraising event to help support our portion, the technology portion of the of the work that we're looking to do. Uh, but then a big portion is is bringing it to the community's attention to help to help them in their mission. We've been thrilled with all of our community support as we've moved forward with this project. We want to thank uh, the barn in Shavertown for helping us with our with our fitness center uh, portion of the project. This has been from a Glen event. We really want to thank Valley Chevrolet for their generosity and helping to support our our project, uh, and Gino's Shoes uh, for helping to uh, both provide shoe donations as well as a discounted price on the remaining pairs of shoes that we needed to purchase. Uh, the other big component of our holiday gift was provided by Benko Dental and helping us assemble and, and provided the materials for all of our healthcare kits that we provided the children. Ruth Lovett of CVS Caremark introduces us to her group's project, Phoenix Rising, benefiting community theater in Avoca. I had co-workers who had been previously involved with leadership and they just spoke very highly of the experience and it really helped them with their leadership skills. I saw them becoming managers within my company. So that really, you know, was my motivation behind wanting to, to be involved in this secret club. <laughs> now, once you got involved obviously there's a, a service project that every group does and this service project actually is pretty personal to you right it is yes i recently bought a home in durier my daughter had already been involved in local theater groups in the area um, did vocal and piano and i was looking for something new for her to get involved in and i was excited when i found uh, phoenix a block from my home so as soon as i knew i was um, going to be participating in leadership they were the first place that came to mind talk about this renovation project it seems like it is pretty comprehensive it is so the Phoenix Performing Arts Group has been in the building for 10 years. They're actually celebrating their 10-year anniversary in 2018, but the building itself is over 100 years old. It was the old Kurlantic Furniture Store um, and had been there for 100 years, so it's very run down, very old, so it, it needs a lot of renovation, a lot of love. Talk about the way that you're going about helping the Phoenix Theater. What is your project and how can people help? Our main goal is to expand their seating to bring more people um, into the shows. We're reinforcing their stage. We're renovating the front of the building to um, be able to bring more publicity to the theater itself. And we're doing that through um, in-kind donations from various um, businesses. We need the building materials in order to do that. And then we also are selling calendar raffles to raise money to pay the contractor who's doing the work for us. And to get one of these calendar raffles how does how does a listener go about that you can find our group on facebook um, our project name is phoenix rising and that's our facebook page as well and there is also an email address that you can um, email us it's phoenix rising lwb18 at gmail.com jeff bohm of lightspeed technologies explains a project that will benefit a free clinic in wilkesbury that needs some medical equipment to improve its service Services. Someone in my company thought I might possess some leadership qualities, perhaps, but it's uh, one of the main uh, components uh, is to build leadership skills and uh, also to network and to go out and serve in the community. Uh, so these are other qualities that certainly uh, I've taken to and uh, I've already met a number of great people. 
And together with these great people, you've come up with a project that you're undertaking that helps our community. Yes, indeed. We call ourselves the Healthcare Heroes because we have concentrated our efforts on the Wilkes-Barre Free Clinic on South Franklin Street in Wilkes-Barre. It's in the basement of St. Stephen's Church. It helps people with health services who don't necessarily have health care at their fingertips. They lack insurance, but there are volunteer doctor and also staff of uh, nurses who also volunteer their time to take care of some of their needs. How did you decide that this is the project that you wanted to do? Was there anybody in the group that was more influential, or how did you settle on this? Uh, in our group is Mike DeMare from Geisinger, and uh, he is a physical therapist, and uh, he is also uh, in a league with a number of other doctors who right away made him aware of this, and uh, he brought it to our attention, and it was unanimous that this was a great endeavor, and we wanted to be involved and help them out in any way uh, that they need, and we earmarked those needs. And now talk about how this is working out and what you've done so far and what you hope to accomplish. So we established a timeline and uh, a list of things that we'd like to secure for the free clinic, and they have some key pieces of equipment. Uh, and so we knew that we needed to, do, uh, for instance, have a fundraiser to do that. Uh, so we are finalizing the date for a pub trivia night in downtown Wilkes-Barre. That'll be in early March. So that will be the fundraising component. Until then, uh, we knew we could provide some love by painting and providing some pieces of furniture for this facility so people feel comfortable until they get visited by a health professional. So now we're actually taking that part on. We're going to be painting very shortly, but once that is all done, we'll be providing the key pieces of equipment to them and hopefully announcing that to the public at an event to be uh, determined later. But these are all part and partial to just making sure this clinic stays open because it's a huge benefit to the community to keep it open. Is there a place where people can go to find out more information? Uh, yes, we are establishing a Facebook page, Healthcare heroes associated with Leadership Wilkes-Barre. So we know that they do not currently have an EKG machine. Uh, it's a crucial piece of um, machinery that will certainly help them out in their endeavors. Also, we're hoping to secure them an interpretive device uh, for people who don't necessarily speak the language that the doctor uh, and nurses do. Uh, so these are two pieces of equipment. Of course, uh, we've already got donations of some uh, items like tongue depressors, uh, things of that nature, to help uh, get started. Gloves as well. Matthew Hinton of Misericordia University talks about Team Bookworms, his group's endeavor to help the Oosterhout Library. Somebody at Misericordia University is on the board uh, at Leadership Booksbury, and she came up to me and said, you'd be perfect for this. You're on campus all the time. Everybody knows who you are. Do this. And I said, yes. And since you made that decision, what have you learned about Leadership Booksbury that you didn't know already? I didn't know how uh, many people would be involved with it in the area, how many people were already associated with it, leaders, people in charge in a lot of different institutions and venerable places in our area, and how many people really kind of lock hands and make things happen. Talk about the project that your group is doing and how you came to agree to do it. The project we're doing is to renovate the children's activity room at the Osterhout Free Library. We came to do it because uh, they had actually brought the proposal to Leadership Wilkes-Barre, and we read what their proposal was, and it immediately clicked for our group, and we knew that that was something we could make a meaningful impact for a few years to come. It's it's a drab room. It needs to be uplifted. It needs to be, uh, we need some color brought to it. It needs to be something that children can return to again and again and really use. Okay, so with this in mind, uh, tell me a little bit about what you're planning. 
Uh, we're planning to paint some of the walls, uh, clean it up in general, declutter the place, create storage solutions for them, put in new carpeting, make it very kid-friendly, and uh, make it durable. And you will be having a fundraiser in the near future that people can look out for, right? Yes, we're looking uh, to create some sort of fundraiser that we can raise the money to buy all these supplies and do all this for. To find out more, where my people go? People can go to Facebook. The uh, Facebook group is called Team Bookworms. We believe that if we renovate this room and make it a, a place that's comfortable and friendly and colorful, that children will return to it. And we want to encourage children to return to the library. So one out of three children in uh, the Wyoming Valley don't have books in their home. So by coming to this free resource that is the library, we'll be planting the seed for these kids to be reading. Um, and if they become early readers, they'll become strong leaders in the future. More information about the work of Leadership Wilkes-Barre can be found at www.leadershipwilkes-barre.org. You are listening to Special Edition on Entercom Communications. You're listening to Special Edition on Entercom Communications, hosted by Sue Henry. 1938 marked the arrival of a new entertainment venue to Wilkes-Barre's Public Square. The Comerford Theater opened its doors as thousands waited to get a glimpse of the new facility. The opening night featured a screening of Alexander's Ragtime Band. You now know the Comerford as the FM Kirby Center for the Performing Arts. This year, the Kirby will screen a movie each month as part of its Before the Kirby Was the Kirby film series. John Hersker, a West Hazleton native whose family owned a movie theater, is the creator of Flashback Cinema, which brings classic movies to theaters across the country. He will introduce each movie from the big screen before its start. And he joined us recently to discuss his interest in the movie industry. I have always loved movies, and I still love movies. They're a huge part of my life. I grew up working in a movie theater. My parents uh, owned a theater in West Hazleton, Pennsylvania, the Hersker Theater. It's still there, although my family doesn't own it. Uh, but it's still operating as the Cinema Draft House. But uh, that theater was my home growing up. I worked in it. I watched movies every chance I, I got and uh, grew up loving movies and loving movies in theaters. What is your earliest recollection of being in that theater? Well, uh, because uh, th th we lived literally next door to the theater, our house was right next door, um, I would see sections of movies. So I don't have one movie that I remember as my first movie, but I have vivid memories of Goldfinger with James Bond, and it made me want to be a secret agent. I loved the little secret compartments in his shoes for, you know, uh, tracking devices and so on. I remember The Music Man, uh, you know, a lot of movies from the 60s. Um, and of course, in those days, movies would be re-released because they weren't yet shown on television. So I got to enjoy some of the movies that had actually uh, played before I was born. Uh, but I loved watching all kinds of movies. And as I got older and became a teenager, movies like The Godfather and so forth uh, were a big part of my upbringing. And uh, the, the Godfather, if I remember correctly, does come back to figure into your transition into your professional life where you did pursue a career in the film industry very successfully, may I add. 
Well, uh, yes, I've been very fortunate uh, to uh, to be able to make a living uh, in the movie industry since I love movies so much. Uh, when I graduated high school from MMI Preparatory School and uh, moved away from the area to go to college, um, and my, my mom sold the business at that point, I still wanted to be in the movie business, and I ended up going back working uh, as a theater manager and then uh, got a job uh, in the sales department of Paramount Pictures which at that time had branch offices all over the country, and I started out in their Philadelphia branch office, worked my way up the corporate ladder, and then got to uh, eventually work at the Paramount Studios in Hollywood, which for a little kid from West Hazleton who remembered taking tickets and, and selling candy at his, his uh, parents' movie theater was just an incredible experience. I can only imagine what it was like when you went there and how excited you were. What was it like when they said, John, we'd like you to come out and work at our facility in California. What, did you pinch yourself? What was it like? Oh, who, who did you tell first? Absolutely, I pinched myself, but it was something I'd been hoping for for a long time because all of us in the company who were out in the field, as we called ourselves, and at that time I was working in the Dallas, Texas branch office, uh, we all knew that the heart of the company and the industry really was in Hollywood. And I had visited the studio in Hollywood many times and, and uh, I just loved walking around it and the thought of being there was incredible. And ironically, Ironically, uh, the head of distribution at Paramount, uh, who really became a kind of mentor to me once I got to L.A., but didn't know me real well at the time, asked somebody, I found out later, do you think John would be willing to move to L.A.? Which now strikes me as, it's even then struck me as being very funny because I couldn't wait to move to L.A. and I couldn't wait to work on that lot. Now, in the lot, you want to talk about where your offices were located and some of the storied history of Paramount in terms of where you were every day at your desk. Well, I every day at my desk, um, uh, well, I, I had several offices in the in the distribution building. The, the theatrical distribution division is what I was part of. We licensed movies to theaters. I was not in the creative side. We were more the business side. And the distribution building, which was the newest building on the lot, was a four-story building. And the office that I eventually got got, uh, overlooked the Hollywood sign. And so every day I come in and sit at my desk and look out at the Hollywood sign. First, having driven through the gates, those same gates that Norma Desmond, uh, Gloria Swanson drives through in Sunset Boulevard, I would drive through every day and then go upstairs and, and look out at the Hollywood sign. But actually, uh, for a brief period, I had a temporary office in a building, one of the older buildings called the Dryer Building, which was actually the building that in Sunset Boulevard, um, the movie Sunset Boulevard, William Holden and Nancy Olson are working on a script and they walk around the studio a lot at night and the building that they work on the script in is the dryer building. So I actually got to work for a period of time in that building and that was, that was great fun for me. I can only imagine. And you, you really do have such an affinity and a passion for the movies. So it's great to see somebody who got to literally live their dream and, and work in that capacity, but your work is not with Paramount anymore, but you still have a great connection to that uh, golden age of movie making through the company that you founded, which I think is also awesome as well. Well, yes. I actually, uh, I left Paramount Pictures to go back on the theater side because, believe it or not, my dream as a, as a kid was not to work for a movie studio. My dream was to operate movie theaters, uh, as my dad had done and my grandfather and my great-grandfather before them. So that was always my dream and my goal. And as I said, my mother had sold the business, and I wanted to get back into the theater side. So when I left Paramount Pictures after 26 years, I ran a chain of movie theaters for a while called Movie Tavern. There was 
was headquartered in Dallas, Texas. But then we grew the company, we sold it, and that's when I decided to move back to Pennsylvania. And the company that you're talking about now that I run is called Flashback Cinema. And uh, it's a company that markets and programs classic movies for first-run movie theaters to show in their theaters, along with all the new first-run movies they show twice a week on Sundays and Wednesdays. They show a classic film that I've selected and I promote and I market and I do an on-screen introduction for. So uh, I'm still doing my best to get people to go to movies to see theaters, but now the movies I'm focused on are those great classic movies that that everybody remembers uh, from their childhood, which they may not have seen in a theater because they may have experienced these movies on television and so forth. But uh, I am a firm believer that the best place to see a movie is in a theater, and that's what Flashback Cinema does. It brings classic movies to theaters so that people can have that experience. Because there's nothing like that, to see something on a screen that big. And, and when we were talking, you mentioned like The Sound of Music. You see it on your television, and maybe that's the only way you've ever seen it. But when you see it on that screen, it's just jaw-dropping. Well, I, I think, ironically, uh, because of all the ways that we have to see movies now, whether on our TV screens or on our t- our phones or on our laptops, we need the theatrical experience more than ever because we're so distracted. You know, you watch a movie at home on television and uh, the phone rings or you're checking your emails on your smartphone or something else is going on, but there's something about that theatrical experience. It's not only the size of the screen, but the fact that you're in darkness, uh, you're not looking at your phone, you're not checking your emails, and you're sitting with other people who appreciate that experience. So so, uh, yes, and Sound of Music's a great example. When Julie Andrews comes out uh, singing in the, those majestic Austrian Alps, there's nothing like it. And there's also the factor with a comedy. People are laughing when you're laughing. If you're watching Psycho, people jump when you jump. And movies were always intended and really still are intended by the people who make them to be a communal experience, a shared experience. And uh, even though filmmakers have embraced new technology, uh, most of them will tell you they would prefer people see their movies in a theater in the dark without distractions and with other people nearby to share that experience which brings us to a great series that will be at the fm kirby center in wilkesbury before the kirby was the kirby the building opened in 1938 and i know you know a little bit of the history of what it was then the comerford theater and you know a little bit about uh, stylistically how that was devised and Um, What a beautiful venue it was then and still is today. Well, 1938, uh, the late 1930s, saw a uh, kind of resurgence in movie theater construction. There had been a boom of movie theater building in the 1920s, which is when most of the great movie palaces uh, were built. But, of course, the Depression uh, hurt the whole economy and hurt movie going, actually. But by the late 30s, the economy was coming back, the movie business was coming back, and new theaters were being built. But by the late 1930s, they were tended to be built more in the Art Deco style. It's streamlined, very uh, modern-looking style. And the uh, Comerford Theater, which opened in 1938, as you said, on Public Square, is a great example of that. It architecturally is an Art Deco gem. When you got to see it, when you when you came home, what did you think about the Kirby Center at, at first glance? This must have been thrilling for somebody like you who loves movie theaters. 
Well, it, it is very thrilling because I know how most of the great movie theaters, those single-screen palaces uh, that those of us who are old enough remember from our youth, how most of those theaters are gone now. They've been replaced by the modern multiplex theaters, which are fine and great, and I built a number of them when I was at Movie Tavern, but most of those great old theaters have been lost. And to have one preserved the way the Kirby has been preserved, and not just uh, for its architectural or historical value, which is great, but to actually be a thriving performing arts center. I mean, the Kirby is a tremendous uh, um, uh, asset to the whole hall of northeastern Pennsylvania. And to have the wonderful acts that are presented there, the concerts, the, the stage shows, uh, is really uh, a wonderful thing. Uh, but um, it's uh, not, of course, what the theater was designed for. The theater was designed for movies. And our whole idea with this series of Before the Kirby Was the Kirby was to get back a little bit to the theater's roots and uh, show movies once again uh, in, the, in the setting in which they had originally in t- uh, been intended to be seen. You're starting out with one that has a, a close personal connection to many individuals who live here. That would be the Molly Maguires, which was a Paramount movie that has a connection to a guy that was a very generous benefactor and a graduate of King's College, Mr. Burke. And um, there are people already who sent messages to me today that their grandparents uh, acted as uh, the one, someone wrote their grandfather was a chauffeur for some of the individuals who were in the Molly McGuire's because parts of it were filmed here. So how did that come to be that uh, that Paramount movie you being a, an alum of, of Paramount, how did that come about? Well, when um, when Will Beekman, the executive director at Kirby, and Ann Rodella and Lauren Mann, who do a great job marketing the Kirby Center's events, when we all talked about doing this series as a way to commemorate the 80th anniversary of the opening of the theater, we talked about, uh, wouldn't it be great to show movies, not just great classic movies, but movies that had actually played at the theater uh, at some point in their history, and especially those movies that have an especially strong connection to the theater. And when we started talking about that, it was obvious that the, the number one movie we had to show was The Molly Maguires, because The Molly Maguires was not only filmed in northeastern Pennsylvania, but it had its world premiere at the then Paramount Theater, the Comerford Theater, which opened in 1938, was renamed the Paramount in 1949. So in 1970, when Paramount Pictures was going to release this film that had been shot in northeastern Pennsylvania, they elected to have three simultaneous world premieres, one in Scranton, one in Hazleton, uh, which is uh, uh, the the closest you know city uh, to where the movie was actually shot in Eckley's Minor, Eckley Miners Village, uh, and then of course in Wilkesbury, and the Paramount Theater was selected, and so that world premiere took place uh, on January twenty seventh, uh, nineteen seventy, and it was a gala event, and of course the theater was packed. It was a, it was a tremendous interest to the community, and so we thought uh, since we're starting our series in January, particularly, we would want to kick off with the movie that had its world premiere at the uh, Paramount Theater in 1970, and that's The Molly Maguires. Talk about the significance of The Godfather in 1972 to this theater 
and to you. Well, The Godfather, which uh, we're going to be showing on Friday, April 20th, we should say that the way the series is designed is we show a different classic movie every month on a Friday at 1 o'clock and 7.30. So the Molly Maguires is showing first on Friday, January 26th. Now, you mentioned The Godfather, which is going to show on Friday, April 20th. Uh, the Godfather's significance for the Paramount Theater in Wilkes-Barre is that it showed longer, it played at the theater longer than any other movie during the four decades in which the Kirby Center was a movie theater. That's from 1938 to 1977, basically, when the theater was a movie theater. The Godfather opened in March of 1972, set box office records uh, at the Paramount Theater in Wilkes-Barre. I might also add at the Hersker Theater in West Hazleton, where I was a kid working and we played The Godfather, and it was it was uh, one of the great thrills of my childhood to be able to um, work at the theater during that movie. But uh, the movie uh, became the highest-grossing movie of all time up to that point, a really a cultural phenomenon that has lasted to this day. Everybody knows all the quotes from The Godfather, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse, and so forth. And it played to sell out crowds for many weeks. And at the Paramount Theater in Wilkes-Barre, the film, as I said, opened in March of 72, and it played for a record 13 weeks. That's longer than any film had played before or that any film played after at the Paramount Theater in Wilkes-Barre. And it finished its record-setting engagement on June 20th, 1972. And everybody who was alive at that time and living in the Wyoming Valley knows the significance that uh, the next day, uh, the waters of the Susquehanna River overflowed. It was Hurricane Agnes, or Tropical Storm Agnes, I guess, at that point. And uh, the Paramount Theater, like the rest of downtown Wilkes-Barre, was flooded. So The Godfather not only was a record setter in terms of how long it played, but it was the last movie to play at the Paramount Theater before the flood. And the theater did not reopen for another six months. The series is called Before the Kirby Was the Kirby. There's a movie every month of 2018 and uh, some spectacular productions. And uh, I, I hope that a lot of people come out. The price points are great, too. <laughs> That's, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Uh, matinees are $3 and the evening is $5. So you can't, you can't beat the price. John Hersker of Flashback Cinema joined us to discuss the upcoming Before the Kirby Was the Kirby series, which begins on Friday, January 26th, with screenings of The Molly Maguires at 1 and 7.30 p.m., more information can be found at www.kirbycenter.org. You are listening to Special Edition on Intercom Communications. You're listening to Special Edition on Intercom Communications, hosted by Sue Henry. The presence of diminutive relationship guru Dr. Ruth Westheimer on the national stage changed the dialogue on issues people used to keep to themselves. Her career began on New York radio, then came a television show, her books, and the live one-woman show, Dr. Ruth All the Way. Her new book, Stay or Go, Dr. Ruth's Rules for Relationships, recently hit the shelves, and she spoke to us about her revolutionary career. It is great to talk to you. Are you at your home in Washington Heights? I certainly am. Now, that is something I admire about you, is that all of your vast fame has not spoiled you too terribly much. No, because the apartment overlooks the Hudson, the George Washington Bridge, and I'm here for about um, 55 years. <laughs> 
That is so great. And it's great to hear your laugh. And I think that what makes you endearing to people, Dr. Ruth, is the fact that you could talk about a subject like sex. You could actually bring it up, get people to talk about it. And I know you've you've said that maybe the way people talk about it has changed over the years, but the the genesis of of what they want to know about or the problems that they have have kind of remained true, right? Absolutely. So some of the issues, that's why I did the book, uh, Stay or Go, some of the issues are certainly... Uh, you can uh, salvage them, uh, but some of the issues, even in today's world, um, there are, for example, boredom or jealousy or some of those uh, issues that happen among uh, couples are still exactly the same. And uh, we just have some new things added that uh, people... When they are on Facebook, talk about friendships. And I say friendships have to be earned. They have to be cultivated. So that's why I also did the book, Stay or Go, and about relationships, about real relationships. Right, and your book is brand new. It just came out two days ago. Let's talk about this one, Dr. Ruth. Love and lust aren't enough to make people compatible. That's true. You really have in today's world, life is complicated. And you have to have common interests. You also have to have this kind of respect for each other so that even if there are problems, you can can kind of help solve them. Uh, I'm very worried about these days so many people being lonely despite all of the uh, uh, social media. And that's why I said, make sure that if you are in a relationship, that you cultivate a relationship, that you make the very best out of it. How do you feel about, uh, there There have always been dating services, and some of them yeah. were, were very prehistoric, and now we have things like Tinder, Dr. Ruth. So so how I, do you see that as, as both good I, and bad? I think, Uh, Since I'm very concerned about people being lonely, I hear that very often these days about loneliness. I'm all for dating services if people use them intelligently, if they meet somebody uh, in a public place, in a lobby of a hotel or some public place, not in a secluded place. I'm, I'm all for it because I want people to be in relationships, uh, but but people have to know the limitations. Now, Dr. Ruth, we see on the Internet all the time now that the future may include uh, robots as romantic partners. Uh, how do you, <laughs> you laugh, but do you, do you, will that happen, Dr. Ruth, do you think? That would be terrible. <laughs> Let the robots do other things, like fixing our uh, streets or whatever they can do but not relationships. I want a relationship to be between two people, two men, two women, a man and a woman, whatever it is, but between people and not with robots. So robots I can't should, yeah. imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine that a robot can caress and kiss like a human being. 
Oh, I don't know, Dr. Ruth. I, I think the future is wide open, and, and we might all be surprised. But I think robots really should vacuum instead. I think you're right about, about that one. But it seems to me that you did bring up that component, though, of loneliness. And if there could be something programmed to stave off loneliness, I, I think that that might be a selling point. Yeah, but because the, the, I mean, to meet some people on the internet or even with a robot is fine. I just don't want them to have sex with a robot. Okay. All right. Well, we'll you know what? We're going to just uh, leave it at that. And you also say that we can judge the future of our relationships by looking where they've been to gauge where they will go in the future. How do we use that, that kind of information when we want to try to fool ourselves to believe that we should continue down a path that maybe is not good? Yeah, because the one important thing is to be realistic. And you can't expect the earth to shake every time that you have sex. But, but, but you have to make sure that one of the things that has to happen is that you are uh, enjoying each other's company, that you like that you are together, that there is something productive in the relationship and not destructive. That's why I'm after. But that's what, what I'm after. That's, and that's why I did the book, by saying sometimes you, even with good intentions, might not be able to save the relationship. You also write in the book that uh, money can't buy you love, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't examine the costs of that love. Can you talk about that? Right. Yeah. Well, you have to know what you can sacrifice and what you don't sacrifice. Uh, sometimes, you know, to sacrifice something for the sake of the relationship is perfectly all right and also necessary. But it does depend. It has to be both sides. You can't expect your partner to adjust to all of the whims or all of what you need if you are not willing to be flexible. So, so one of the important aspects is really flexibility. Can you talk a little bit about the Me Too movement and the Time's yeah. Up movement? Because these are obviously contemporary I, issues. Look, Right. What what I what I'm very concerned about. I'm not talking about people who have been raped or any other uh, forceful uh, encounter. But I'm a little concerned. Actually, not a little. A lot. I still. I'm old-fashioned and square. I still want the men to open the door for me. I want chivalry to remain. I want people to be able to talk at the water cooler, what they just heard on radio, without having to worry constantly about um, are they saying something uh, socially uh, upsetting. So we have to have some communication issues. We have to talk to each other and, and make sure that people's relationship remains productive. Do you worry, Dr. Ruth, that uh, people will not be able to speak to each other, uh, men and women, anymore because they're so intimidated that what they might yes. bring up might be misconstrued? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I think we live in a, in a kind of a, 
it's a difficult time right now, but I'm such an optimist. You know, I believe it'll pass. I believe it will pass because it would be too bad if we would have, uh, if, if, if men and women, or even two men or two women, would get so uptight about talking to each other uh, that they're going to keep quiet. I will see even more loneliness. I'm very worried about loneliness these days. Despite all of the uh, social media, despite all of the talk, uh, I'm, I'm worried about loneliness. So that's why I'm saying, look at your relationship. See if you can stay together. Work at it. Go to see a therapist if necessary. And if the relationship is not good, then say goodbye. <laughs> and after a little while, find somebody else. Now, conversely, <laughs> Dr. Ruth, the, I, I guess the Internet has also opened up people to go back and find people on Facebook in, in the past that uh, maybe were their boyfriends or girlfriends. What do you think about that kind of behavior? Yeah, that's very true. And I think sometimes people might have separated because of circumstances. They moved away. So uh, if they can find each other and can find common ground to have a relationship, I'd be very happy. <laughs> I will say bravo to the social media, that, that they're doing some things that are productive. Dr. Ruth Westheimer is the author of Stay or Go, Dr. Ruth's Rules for Relationships. You are listening to Special Edition on Entercom Communications. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.